but the results were quite strong that uh, students with uh, a high level of uh, self-esteem and high level of internal locus control had predisposed to a playful disposition and people with a playful disposition reported higher related relationship satisfaction. I think I'm repeating what you said, Luca, if I got it, if I remember what you said, never mind what the article said. Um, and so uh, that those are, those are interesting variables because the student can put themselves in the shoes of the research participants and says, is this me? I want relationship satisfaction too. What do I have to do to be more playful so that I also have better relationship satisfaction? And how am I going to bring out the playfulness in the people that I want to spend time with so that our relationship is, is a healthier relationship? Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of Alpha Relations. If you're new here, hit subscribe or follow depending on what platform you're listening on. My name is Luca and I'm here with Alex. Hello. And I'm Alan. And today we have ourselves a special guest. He has expertise in playground safety, leisure and children's parks. Uh, he's a prof at Concordia University and the man is all about play. Welcome everyone, Stephen Henley. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Happy snowy Sunday. Happy yeah. snowy Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should be outside building snowmen, but instead we're podcasting. Okay. <laughs> we could do that after. Hey, after this podcast is done. Yeah. yeah. Go out there. Yeah, why not? Why not? I'm all for it. <laughs> I, I just got snow pants, you know? <laughs> all right. To start off every episode when we have a guest, we like to just take some time just to, uh, to have the guests tell us a little bit where they're coming from, um, a little bit about themselves. So um, would you like to just tell the, the listeners a little bit about yourself, Steve? Well, I, uh, I knew you guys back when you were university students a long, long time ago. <laughs> and I think the values that I saw that you guys exhibit in school um, rang true to me. And so, um, you know, it, it's not only getting your head in the game, but putting your heart in the game, putting socialization in the game. And the fact that, you know, you've formed a little family makes me want to uh, support students who are... Uh, uh, realizing the benefit of university education beyond the classroom content that you get. So I've been a university professor for 16 years. And uh, uh, maybe a little later, I'll tell you the story of how I ended up at Concordia, but I was at NYU in New York City doing my um, graduate degree. But I started out as a student at Concordia. I did the oh. traditional Westmount High School, Dawson College, Concordia University. Oh, wait. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I went to uh, NYU for graduate school and then ended up uh, by just by the skin of my teeth, ended up back at Concordia teaching 16 years ago. And I've been there ever since. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> so what led to you becoming like a, a play educator, like regarding like the leisure sciences? What, 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 was, what brought you to that, that, that realm? What's the inspiration? The yeah. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's not, uh, it's not such a linear path. Or maybe it is a linear path because it's what really what I studied in school. But the um, uh, I went to summer camp as a kid, and that was very in influential uh, for me. And then uh, as a young adult, I worked in summer camps, not a traditional job. I was a wilderness canoe tripper, which had oh. a little bit more responsibility than, uh, than a regular summer camp staff. I would take kids out for up to 21 days at a time into central Quebec for wilderness canoe trips, usually whitewater, river river trips and then you know that was really enjoyable but how do you find you know physics or chemistry isn't the right follow-up for that um and so uh, uh you know um but but uh by luck i found out that there was recreation as a study program in university and so that was the uh, slippery slope that i found myself on that's so cool and um just to go, touch back on the, the, these these canoe trips back into central Quebec, um, with which um, camp organization were you doing that with? That was with uh, YMCA Canawana. I figured. I figured. Yeah. Okay. A lot of you good were... friends. Yeah. I used to work at the Y uh, before the, the, the pandemic for seven years, and a lot of good friends of mine um, in the summertime, you know, when they're not lifeguarding, they were up there running, doing the same thing that you did. 
you know, yeah. just coming back and telling me these wild stories and adventures of just trying to, you know, uh, facilitate, instruct, guide, you know, all while being in a canoe, um, you know, up north and just having a blast, you know, getting yeah. lost for three weeks. Yeah, we used, to, we used to spend hours in those canoes, days and weeks in, in the canoes. And, you know, we would have our coffee in the canoes and drinks in the canoes. And, <laughs> and you know, we could, you know, it, it was like our little apartments. Yeah. That's so much fun. And I think there's some apartments in New York City that are smaller than canoes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Huh? Oh, that's lovely. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And I've been canoeing ever since, but obviously not as a summer job in a, in a summer camp. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so then keeping that uh, in mind and just changing to play more specifically, uh, you ask us in your courses to define play. So we're going to hit you back with it and ask for your definition of play and how you integrate it in your own life. So you, if you could give us a few examples of, of that, sure. that would be cool. Um, I'm going to, I force you to define it in a specific way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what I don't think play is. I don't think play is uh, uh, a time just because it's Sunday afternoon doesn't mean you need to be playful. And because it's Monday morning, you need to be serious because you're back in school or you're back at work. So mm-hmm. I prefer to think of uh, play and defining play as a state of mind more mm-hmm. than a time. Um, and I think that you could have that playful attitude regardless of what you're doing. You might be at home or you might be with friends, but you could also be in the library at school or in the classroom at a lecture or in your workplace mm-hmm. and feel, feel, feel playful. Um, um, I see lots of times when I'm at work and, and, and my colleagues and I are just laughing so hard and are having a great time, but you're not supposed to be laughing and having fun because society says you're at work and it's Tuesday mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. and who are you to have fun at your job? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's more the state of mind and the socialization and that opportunity um, to be playful. And I, I think that play, there's a big umbrella we call leisure. Mm-hmm. And if that's the umbrella statement, leisure, Underneath that, there's a lot of other things that um, are nuances of types of leisure. And play is one of those nuances. Other examples might be sport or recreation mm-hmm. or games or creative pursuits like, you know, sculpture or painting or theater or music or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, for me, play is a state of mind. And play is the, you guys will be familiar with this the process over the product. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the outcome of what you're doing when you're playing is less important than the experience of the play activity by itself. And then the third variable that's important to me is that the players get to make up their own rules Mm -hmm. or perceive that they're making up their own rules. So it's a state of mind. I have the freedom to make up my own rules and I'm not so concerned with the end product. I just want to have a good time during the play experience. And when it's over, if I've made something beautiful, that's great. But if I've made something ugly and I want to destroy it, that's fine too, because it was only done for the sake of play. Mm. Love that. Do I get an A? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus, all the way. <laughs> um, so then, yeah. So what, like, what would be some examples that you – you would do in your own personal life that like exude the, the play mentality that you just described? That's a good question. So I think I wear different hats. I guess we all wear different hats. Uh, sometimes you're a son, sometimes you're a daughter, sometimes you're a mother, sometimes you're a father, uh, sometimes you're a friend, sometimes you're a colleague, sometimes you're a, a, a teacher. And so I think that I, I, I probably am I'm playful uh, in different situations uh, differently. And I was, um, it's appropriate that it's, it's, we're getting, I think we're getting our, our, our stay for the winter snowstorm today. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was the last time we're going to see grass for a little while. Um, and so one of the games that I play with my kids is called snowplow damage. And we play oh. it every winter. And we drive around Quebec looking for damage caused by snowplow. Oh, damn. And that's a fun game to play. And it's easy to find, you know, the blue bins on garbage day. That's easy to find because they get hit all over the place. But, you know, if you're downtown and you find a bicycle that's just been crushed by a snowplow, that's mega points. Like, you know, (laughs) and prove to us that you've seen it and that that it's good. So we play this game called Snowplow Damage. Um, 
And we've been playing that. You know, it was like I Spy when we when they were younger and we'd go for mm-hmm. drives in the car. But it, it's something that has uh, kept up. So that's an example of a, a game that I, I play with my family. It's just made up and it's fun and it's silly and it yeah. doesn't have any consequences. And uh, we don't do it for competitive. Like There's no winning. We're not keeping score. It's mm-hmm. just for the fun of pointing out, um, you know, something that we are familiar with because mm-hmm. and you think snowplow damage. Yeah, I've seen it a thousand times, but I never thought of making a game out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's really good. I like so that. that. That That's an example. Uh, the other day I was... Uh, texting my daughter and I wanted to communicate with her, but without using words. So I had to think of the pictures that I could put in the text message that would give her the idea of what I was trying to communicate. So I was trying to communicate with images instead of words. So that's a playful, it wasn't anything serious. I, you know, say good night with images instead of, I love you is easy, right? You put a picture of an eye, a heart and a you, Mm -hmm. I love you. Um, we are all familiar with that one, but you, you can get much more complicated uh, if you think about it. I think yeah. we should start doing that, guys. You know, just, yeah. yeah, just with gifts on our messenger chats. Oh my god, right? gifts and emojis to communicate yeah. from now on. That's it. The emoji sentence. It'll, be, it'll become a grammar class in university in five oh years. Oh, your emojis, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no? That's good. That what would sense. writing a paper consist of then? I wonder what that looks like. You know? Oh my god! Just yeah. emojis. Yeah. Well, imagine like a prof can like just really like to get that message to convey it, whatever it may be. But yeah, mm-hmm. hey, hey, that's it. Uh, I'm I'm interested. Challenge accepted. <laughs> you know, good morning is one cup of coffee. But if you're wide awake and it's good morning, then it's three cups of coffee. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. I'm starving. That's one cup of coffee plus an egg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just like regarding play, um, uh, even before, so like you, you touch base like with family uh, as you were growing up too. But what about Steve as a like a, 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 as a younger man there? Like, I mean, what was played to you? You know, what are some experiences that uh, that you could throw out for us uh, for us here? Oh. Uh, uh... It, fall, it, it kind of um, uh, leapfrogs back and forth between play and leisure and recreational experiences. Go for it. Um, and sometimes they were, uh, in, oftentimes they were indistinguishable. And as the, you know, you only think about them and break them apart into these segments as an academic. But as an end user, you really don't make a distinction. If I say to you leisure or recreation, to you, those are, in, to the average person, those are indistinguishable concepts. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, as, as a young kid, you know, going for a walk around Beaver Lake with my parents was a playful experience. And we'd climb over the rocks and they'd take us to the playground and there would always be a snack involved. And if we were lucky, we got to put the, you know, the quarters into the slot machine to pay for parking. Um, the slot is that you don't get it. You win if you don't get a ticket. <laughs> you go walk. In the wintertime, you get to, you know, you get bring your skates and your toboggan. And so, you know, you'd have to fight with your siblings to see if you went skating first or tobogganing first, because um, you know, whatever you did first, the second one, you would be much colder. So, uh, uh, you know, usually tobogganing would, would beat out uh, ice skating as the first uh, first activity. And then you go into the chalet at Beaver Lake and warm up and put on your skates and then you go for a little bit of a skate. But I was old enough that they didn't have it as nice. They actually cleared the ice on the pond when I was growing up. That's true. That, and so they would drain it partway and then freeze it up and we would skate on the pond. And so there was this edge where you could get wiped out by a tobogganer careening down the hill if you skated to the far side. And <laughs> the skaters, they would meet this like five foot zone of risking your life on, on Beaver Pond in the wintertime. That sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, nothing bad ever happened. But, you know, I always enjoyed non-competitive outdoor recreation. So, and it was seasonal, right? Swimming, canoeing, uh, bicycling in the summertime, skiing, snowshoeing, downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing in the wintertime. And and the important thing that makes it playful isn't the sport, it's the people that you're with. Mm -hmm. It's the laughter when you fall down and your boot falls off. (laughs) It's the, right? Or when you go underneath a tree at the very second that the wind blows and, Mm -hmm. you know, three pounds of snow fall down the back of your jacket and you're freezing cold and your friends are, are, can't breathe because they're laughing so hard at you. And it's, that's the playful moment in those types of activities 
Um, that's why we do it with other people and not by ourselves, because mm-hmm. we want that social connection. I would agree. I would agree. You know, um, I don't know what it's going to look like with the restrictions and all, but uh, once the snow really kicks in, you know, like I'm a skier myself and I would really love to to go with these guys, you know. I don't know what their capability is, but I was just like, like I don't care. I just, I want to go just to have fun, you know. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. I, you know, uh, uh, my, my wife says to me, well, you know, you go cross country skiing by yourself because I'm going to slow you down. Well, you know, th- th- that's if I want to do that, then that's a whole different type of, of skiing. Mm-hmm. But I want to go with you because that's fun uh, by itself. Right. I want to mm-hmm. I want to, uh, you know, talk you down the steep hill. I want to mm-hmm. you know check out the beautiful running river that's, you know, covered with snow. That's a, a social experience. The exercise is a different that's a different outing. That's um, and so is, you know, it's a different experience with with whom you do those those things. Yeah. Luca, we're gonna we're gonna strap you to a to a to a snowboard there and see what happens. <laughs> Wait, Luca, you don't know how to ski or snowboard either. No, I've done neither. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> well, so guess Luca what? And I will cheer you on from the top. <laughs> That's it. All the way down. I don't know. If anything, you know, the dad gear. Okay, he's gonna he's gonna go with the kids. You know, <laughs> you gotta learn sometime. Yeah, Luca. The funnest part of the whole day is gonna be in the car listening to them laugh at you on the way yeah. home from the ski hill. <laughs> The worst thing that happens is that you don't stop, okay, and you have a grand of a time, or you just continue to lose your balance, or you meet a lovely tree or two, you know? (laughs) There's um, um, There's a TED Talk, and the woman's name is Amy, Mm -hmm. and um, she's skiing for the first time, and she falls, and... Her prosthetic leg undoes oh, wow. and goes flying down the ski hill attached to the ski. And the people in the chairlift are screaming because <laughs> there's a leg going down the ski hill <laughs> attached to the ski. And she's screaming because she's so embarrassed because her leg has become disconnected. <sighs> and you can imagine a scene like that. Oh, wow. It's pretty traumatic for everybody involved. For sure. <laughs> what happened though? I mean, how'd she get down? I mean, in the end, I mean, it, when she got down, she knew how to ski, or someone helped her down, or the ski patrol helped her down. She wasn't hurt; uh, just her prosthetic came off. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh, well. That's tough. Can you imagine seeing that? Imagine if there's like a I mean, like a little blizzard, two little little snow mm-hmm. flying around, and you just yeah. see this, this ski coming down by itself with the with leg. leg attached to it. Yeah, she's. It's a great. Uh, uh, I think her name is Amy Purdy. Um, but uh, uh, it's a great TED talk. She 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 talks about the advantages of of having prosthetic leg. Okay, and like you know, she would ski, but her toes would never get cold. Oh, <laughs> and so right, yeah. you get this whole new uh, you know, and and so she really her focus, and it's a playful. I mean, there's there's sad parts to her story without without a doubt, but but the um, the living her life is a very playful. Um, reorientation mm-hmm. to what she's dealing with so that she can overcome whatever her hardships are and, and keep moving forward. It's a lovely story. That's fantastic. Yeah. Send us the link, you know, if anything, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll post it. We can post this episode. Sure. Know. Yeah. And it's in sure. theme too, with, uh, the season. Um, so Steve, just moving on, like, I mean, <clears throat> again, in, in regards to play, I'd like to ask you, why is it important for adults to play? Yeah. So we're pretty much too busy to play, aren't we? We're too busy in school, we're too busy in work, we're too important, we're too wealthy. Um, there's all types of reasons that, that, that we should play. is for kids, it's not for adults. Um, there's no, you know, if I'm playing, what am I accomplishing? So we can make all these uh, excuses to play. Um, Stuart Brown from MIT, I believe, uh, uh, did a lot of research on, on play, and, and then the... the neurons and the synapses that take place during play are beneficial um, really across the lifespan. And um, I would argue that we still play, but we may not call it play because we're too sophisticated. Mm. And we definitely play as children and it's part of our school and it's part of our home life for the most most people, excuse me, for most people, but then we get to university and we, we stop playing all of a sudden. But I would argue that we still play, but we've changed the name of it. Mm. And so if I could be a little grotesque, 
Go Do for medical it. students play with cadavers <laughs> to learn anatomy and biology? Uh, do engineers do building competitions to build solar cars? Aren't they playing with the theories that they learned in the classroom to make them functional? Mm -hmm. Um, um, uh, um, You know, you see, you can see at Concordia once a year, they usually have like a wind turbine competition, which students can build the most wind turbine, the most unique wind turbines and what materials are they using and what is their efficiency where they're playing with the tools that they're learning in school. And in that play, there's an educational benefit. And I would say that the creativity and play are very interchangeable concepts. And the most creative people in the business world and in the artistic world, those people still have a playful um, uh, personality, a playful edge. And I think we can identify those people and those corporate structures that still have a playful engagement. And those are the places that I would want to find myself um, working at and the people that I would want to call my peers. That's good. Yeah, yeah. no, I would agree with that. Um, like, But considering you said that, I mean, these days adults, like we, we give it another name. What name for play, you know, like would you, you know, have to throw out or a few names rather, you know, that. Uh, oh, well, we could call, you know, Lawyers do mute, moot, court, moot court, where they moot court, where they they have a, a trial. It's mm-hmm. not a real trial; it's a pretend trial. Mm-hmm. Well, it's per, kids play pretend house, so lawyers play pretend court. It's mm-hmm. it's it's moot court. Um, um, but adults, you know, dating isn't that play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's another word for it. Um, case studies mm-hmm. is a, a academic word for it. Um, um, yeah. architects are, are playing all the time with design and drawings and, 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 and shapes. And so we call that architecture. Mm-hmm. Musicians are playing with notes and chords and rhythms all the time. We call that music. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those are all examples of play uh, when you dig down a little bit deeper um, and you find out what's going on with people. They're trying to break the rules. They're trying to make up new rules. Um, they have the perceived freedom to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are all the tenets of, that that I use to define play. Yeah. Very true. I would agree with that. Um, and just in terms of, here we are, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What can we be doing in regards to incorporating play into our lives, knowing that there are so many limitations, especially um, to engage in play with, within one's own physical environment? given what's going on. Yeah. The, um, uh, uh, one of the textbooks that I, uh, uh, I like is, um, Dottillo's leisure education. And, um, uh, so much of what he says is that what we do is social and mm-hmm. that really gets to the heart of the problem right now is we can't be social. Mm. Um, and I would say first and foremost, we need to protect our own health and the health of the people in our circle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I got COVID, if it would affect me badly or not, but I certainly don't want to be a spreader of the virus right. and give it to my older parents or give it to my neighbor or give it to my wife. So first and foremost, I need to um, be aware that I'm going to have to change my behavior mm-hmm. and it's going to be painful. Uh, some people more painful and some people less painful. And I have a, a story about that from my own household go for it my, my daughter is missing school and her friends very much she's mm-hmm. 19 years old she's very social she loves going to school she loves her friends at school and she can't do that stuff and when she wants to see her friends we get quite nervous and we want to know what her friend has been up to and what the risk factors are and what they're going to do and if they're going to wear masks and if she's going to be at their house, you know, what are their parents doing and what are their siblings doing? And is she going to bring the virus back into our house? And and so it became very difficult for her. And I realized that even though we're going through the same pandemic and we're living in the same house, I'm socially isolating at home with my wife, who's my best friend. So that's pretty easy for me. But my daughter's at home and she's not with her best friend and she's not in her social circles. So we're both in the same pandemic in incredibly different situations, even though we're living in the same household. Yeah. And and so 
Um, uh, it's really hard. And even the, the leisure and the recreation that we want to do, we don't want to do it by ourselves. You don't want to spend the day driving up to the Laurentians to go skiing alone so you could eat lunch alone, so you could drive home alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if the movie theaters were open, going to see a movie alone is okay once in a while, but you want to stand in line with your friend and anticipate the movie and talk about the actors and the actresses, and you want to share popcorn or a drink. And then when you're on your way home, you want to go out for a drink and you want to talk about the movie. Did you like it? You didn't like it. It's that social aspect that it makes it so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what we're being told we can't do right now. So um, it would be easy for me to say, well, just Zoom with your friend. <laughs> but I think that that doesn't um, cut it. And it's nice to see everybody, but we're spending so much extra time online when you don't have to be online, especially as a university student or a professor. Um, when you don't have to be online, the last thing you want to do is sit down at your desk again and turn on your Zoom. You want to do something different. You want to get away from that that computer screen. But that means that you're not connecting with other people. So I would fall back a little bit to the leisure model. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, at the end of the pandemic, ask yourself, is there something that you could have done for yourself to make your life better, given the situation that we're in? And can I try something new that I've never tried before? Am I willing to get dressed appropriately and go out for a walk on a snowy day? Can I bring my cell phone and take pictures? Can I look for snowplow damage? Mm, right. right? And so play these games with yourself. Try to do something that you've never done before and expand your repertoire. Um, uh, we're all part of Concordia, um, and we have access uh, through, our, through your student fees um, to uh, Udemia which is the online uh, learning platform. And, you know, if you want to learn how to program Excel or learn about artificial intelligence or you want to play, take guitar lessons, all those courses are online and at your fingertips. They're not exactly social, but at least you're engaging in a new leisure pursuit Mm -hmm. that expands your repertoire and gives you a a new outlet to find entertainment and to find self-worth. And you don't have to like what you try. If you don't like it, it's leisure. Say, you know, I tried piano. I really didn't enjoy it. I'm going to try the ukulele or I'm going to try the guitar or I'm going to take, you know, online music lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can do uh, lots of things. Fitness is a huge. We have New Year's coming up and everyone makes, you know, New Year's resolutions to uh, eat healthier and do more exercise. And, well, I would encourage you to not wait for New Year's. You know, if that's going to be your goal, put it down on paper Make a plan, get someone, you know, do an Excel spreadsheet and, and, and corral your friends into it. So, you know, every day you have a Google share document and when you do it, you put your name on what you've done and they put their name on what you've done. And when you know that your friends are going to be following you and keeping tabs on you, are you much more likely to participate? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Steve, just all this talk is, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's getting me motivated. Yeah, we. I had. I did. You know, my friend said, "Let's zoom." You know, I don't know what was it. A Thursday night, he said, "We'll drink scotch and we'll zoom." I was like, "Well, the scotch tasted good, and the zoom was nice, but it's not like we're getting together." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, right? that's that problem that that disconnect. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, so we did it for a little while, and it's nice to, to touch base. But I think that we need to take a little bit more responsibility than we normally take for our own welfare. Mm-hmm. And if you could find, if you could just think about something you've always wanted to try, but never had the opportunity to do, could you take that opportunity now? Mm. Well said. Well said. That's Luca on a snowboard in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be going like, Alan, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> you can, Luca, you can blame me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll email you about it. Did, did you skateboard when you were a kid? No, not even. I actually had one, but I never had the, I never took the time to actually learn. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm excited to try something new like that for sure. I'm going to hold you accountable. We're going to get you a skateboard <laughs> and a snowboard and you're going <laughs> to. Yeah. You're going to kill it. You're going to kill it. <laughs> All right. So just, yeah, just to bring it back to a, a little statement you said I want to explore further was um, how your, your wife is your best friend. And um, throughout the semester, we had the opportunity to read a, a bunch of different articles. And one that really stuck with me and I really uh, enjoyed reading was the one about um, uh, adult play and uh, romantic relationships, where it sort of spoke about how, you know, self-esteem and uh, the sense of humor, 
um, uh, are positive correlated with playfulness. And that playfulness is positively associated with positive emotion, which is then associated with um, uh, relationship satisfaction. And I sort of want to just explore a little bit, um, I don't, no, just the play in romantic relationships and the importance of having that play um, for um, relationship satisfaction. Somebody wants that. A plus. Okay, just as a side note, I think I could still increase your grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. You did that so eloquently. <laughs> oh, that's good. He goes like, I know where he's getting. Let me, let me just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, 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 um, um, I have to pick and choose what I share with students. There's so much research and we don't, we didn't, that course doesn't have a textbook. So I use peer reviewed articles as the reading material and um, um, to find an article um, that is important to students because they're in their twenties and they're doing a lot of dating. Uh, And this article is all about relationship satisfaction and it's an area of research that none of the students thought about as, oh, those are the variables I'm gonna look for when I wanna date somebody. Mm -hmm. And so it creates a brand new lens to look on who you are and who you wanna talk to and who you wanna mingle with in your relationships. And so that specific article rings a bell with with, with university students because that's the the research subject are university students. Research has limitations, but I think we can extrapolate the data. And so by limitations, I mean that they looked at heterosexual university students, and it's a very small sample size. But the results were quite strong that uh, students with uh, a high level of uh, self-esteem and high level of internal locus control had predisposed to a playful disposition, and people with a playful disposition reported higher related relationship satisfaction. I think I'm repeating what you said, Luca, if I got it, if I remember what you said, never mind what the article said. Um, and so uh, that those are, those are interesting variables because the student can put themselves in the shoes of the research participants and says, is this me? I want relationship satisfaction too. What do I have to do to be more playful so that I also have better relationship satisfaction? And how am I going to bring out the playfulness in the people that I want to spend time with so that our relationship is, is a healthier relationship? And so, uh, you know, that's, that's um, to me, a valuable, valuable um, thing. And, and the other day, uh, my wife and I were laughing. I don't remember what we were laughing over, but she turned to my 16-year-old son and she said, just remember that you've got to marry someone who makes you laugh. Mm. That's cute. <laughs> That's key. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, I just heard someone's stomach go off. That was me. That was me. Steve, that's how you know the microphone is good. <laughs> Pick up on the stomach. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, to kind of touch upon uh, your little intro before, you mentioned that you did some studies at NYU. So post-studies at NYU, you um, became the executive director of Adopt-A-Playground Corporation, which is mm-hmm. the New York uh, New York nonprofit. So would you be able to talk a little bit about that, how it came to be, and is it still up and running today? The uh, I let's just spend a little bit of time on it. I don't think it's uh, that deep of a dive. When I was doing my uh, graduate work at NYU, one of the professors was also a professional witness in recreation injuries in the United States for litigation purposes, mm-hmm. and I worked with her uh, investigating public playgrounds. And there's a um, uh, a level of required safety for public playgrounds. The Consumer Product Safety Commission has standards that have to be met. And when they wouldn't, weren't met, we would document it and provide that information to the attorneys. Um, and so um, what happened was it's not easy, but it's easier for municipalities to get funding to build new playgrounds. Everyone wants to have a shiny, bright playground. Sure. Uh, and if, you know, if one municipality has it, they compete against each other. The other municipality wants to outdo them and also get a great 
new playground. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit harder for the municipalities to do the upkeep and the programming. Those budgets are much harder to, to come by. And so the idea of, uh, of the Corp was that we could get corporate sponsors to sponsor public playgrounds and they could, you know, it would show that the, the organization in that community was giving back to the community and that they were supporting the, their employees who live in that community and their customers. And in turn, the municipal recreation management would able to, you know, get some funds from that corporate sponsorship to do upkeep and to provide good quality programs in the park system. Nice. That was all happening at the exact same time that there were jumbo jets flying into the World Trade Center. Oh, wow. And it ended very quickly. Um, so I was just finishing my PhD. And by chance, I got to apply to come to Concordia. Um, and my wife and I decided that we would hightail it out of New York. Mm-hmm. She was working in a high rise in New York City, which was a targeted building for another terrorist attack. Oh and God. we said, well, we don't have to live like this. We can, you know, she, her family was in New York. Mine was in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So those were the two obvious choices. And so uh, we closed uh, closed down our New York life and quickly moved uh, up here to Montreal. And that was 16 years ago. So it doesn't exist anymore. But um, if you're driving in the States, you'll see Adopt-A-Highway programs mm-hmm. where corporations can adopt little sections of highways. And it was that was the model that 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 the uh, it was a non for profit business was uh, based on. Nice. Wow, it's huge. <laughs> Just tying it back, Steve. We were we were talking about uh, well being, you know, be, before the start of this episode. And uh, what I just like to do now is just take a little look into how has you know COVID or rather the pandemic, you know, how has that affected your overall experience so far? Being in this case, number one, being a human being, what you've been going through, and number two, being a, a university professor. Those are two different hats. That they are. <laughs> they are. Uh, uh, so um, you know what? I'm. 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 I have no reason to complain. Um, right? I didn't lose my job. Um, I have not got the virus. I've had the freedom to work from home. Um, my, you know, my family's home and uh, one of my children goes to school every other day and the other kids are, have been working exclusively from home also. Um, and so we hear the news. I see the problem at the food banks and not having enough food because the demand is so high. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine the number of young people and university students who lost their job as, you know, bars and restaurants and working for tips to pay for school. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's a hardship. Um, I know internship students that because they had to do an unpaid internship had to move back in with their parents and because they couldn't afford to do the number of hours of paid work and do their internship to pay their rent. They couldn't pay their rent anymore. And then you add on to the fact that so many retail jobs, so many bar jobs, so many restaurant jobs have just, you know, instantly disappeared. Even the summer jobs, like so many university students work in summer camps just so that they save the money so they have money for the school year. But there were no summer camp jobs. There was no recreation jobs uh, this year. And they hire 18 to 25-year-olds. That's who their employees are. Yeah. And so a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, and um, uh, I feel uh, badly um, that that's the situation that, that we're in. I think public health um, trumps the uh, need to work in this situation. Um, but it's certainly I'm not, I'm, you know, it's not easy for a lot of people. But but I've been extremely fortunate that, that I haven't been um, affected more uh, negatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and work work is challenge for sure. Um, this semester, I think I had two hundred and fifty students. Wow! Uh, in total, uh, one of the courses I teach always online and always asynchronously. That means that the students have a week to log onto the course on their own schedule and do the material on their own time. Mm-hmm. And then every if they're if they're keeping up with the lectures, then every week there's a new set of lectures and a new set of questions for them to to answer. So it's asynchronous learning. And so that was one of four courses that was kind of not negatively impacted by COVID. But the other three was a whole shift very quickly in saying, well, this is what I used to do face to face. How do I do it online right. uh, with distance learning? And you know, even taking yourself out of the mindset and saying, well, this was the content. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to have the same content. 
But to come up with new content and a new delivery structure is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, especially with the timelines that we had. I'll give you an example. When I developed my course at eConcordia, they have a team of professionals. They have a storyboard professional. They have videographer professionals. They have editing professionals. And I was only the content expert for my course material. Well, it took us together 10 months. Oh, my God. To put the course together online. Wow. Which course? And now. Sorry. Pardon? Which course is it? Uh, program Planning, Design, and Evaluation, okay, so which in, in our world is Applied Human Sciences 260. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so that was a 10-month project with four or five professionals working wow. on it. That's crazy. And yeah. now all of a sudden, you're, they're telling all the professors, okay, put all your course material online. Good luck. Here's some resources. And so that's really yeah. uh, a challenge yeah, uh, to do. And, and yeah. I, I, I follow, I get a newsletter from an online experiential learning uh, organization and something that they, they um, published, they did, they did samples of how you could create online learning mm-hmm. as examples. And so I watched a few of them over the course of the summertime to start to get ideas and brainstorm what I couldn't and couldn't do in the online environment. And he said something to me that stuck out and I've copied it and said it a thousand times. And uh, it's, you know, my motto was content, uh, you know, uh, uh, connection over content, mm. connection over content. And that was my underlying principle, because I believe that the education is social mm. and learning is social and not just social between you and me as the professor and the student, but social between you and your peers. And we know from research that you're more likely to skip class if nobody knows your name. And the thinking is that, you know, if someone knows my name and Alex says, oh, uh, uh, Luca knows me. Well, then Alex says, well, if I'm not there, Luca's going to wonder where I am. Right. So mm-hmm. I better go to class. Mm-hmm. But if no one knows Alex's name and she doesn't go to class, well, no one's going to miss her. So it's easy to skip. It just shows you at a very fundamental level how important socialization is and building those relationships f- for education. And so relearning that has been difficult and how much work is too much work and how much online is too much online for students. And so we've got to, you know, thread that, thread the needle properly. And we probably are are learning. There's so much technology that we don't know how to use yet. Um, We started with Zoom, um, but if you add Zoom and Google Docs and Office and um, uh, Slack, and there's so many other ones, um, there's appropriate uh, tools for the things that we want to accomplish, figuring out what those tools are. will take a little bit of time mm-hmm. and we're doing all this hard work with the hope that we don't need it next year. Cause we'll be back in the classroom face to face. Yeah. So there's like this, like we got to do it, mm-hmm. but the motivation is like, okay, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my career. This is a band aid so that we, you know, you guys can continue through your degree and, and we don't throw your life too far off course. Yeah. No, you said it. You said it. Uh, and I'm just thinking about our experience here, you know, at least for the three of us, you being a professor for 360, you know, to adult plate development for Luca and myself um, this past semester. And yeah, from from day one, it was just it was all about figuring it out, you know, I mean, traversing this new environment together. And look, we had our we had our mishaps where, I mean, Internet would go out, screen freezes, right? Audio. Yeah. Yeah. And like also just the. um the, the biggest challenge too, at least for myself, is just re- trying to read the non-verbals, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's say we're having a group discussion. If, if Luca wants to say something, but I want to say something, and then there's that overlap too. Like, I mean, and just trying to read the room, right? And the energy, I, I think that's one of the hardest things. And I can imagine, you know, from your side being a professor and just trying to, to see like testing the, to see the level of engagement. But uh, uh, if anything, it was really nice and refreshing knowing that we, it was always honest. It was always frank, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in your course this past semester, yeah. right? Which is fantastic because like we're, we're all in, in this, you know, whether you're, you're the teacher or you're the student, or we're all in it together. Let's try to figure yeah. it out. Be patient. That's it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the, the uh, inauthenticity mm. is so obvious Yeah, yeah. and it's such a turnoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if someone comes to you and says, you know, in this situation, I know what I'm doing. I'm the professor. I'm in charge. You do exactly what I tell you. And that nothing's open for negotiation. 
you know when they're being inauthentic and that they don't know what they're doing and that it's a complete disaster. And you're not going to follow somebody like that. You're not going to learn from them because they've turned you off. So, won't come to so at such a high mm-hmm. value level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, I won't. Yeah. Come to class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, authentic is, is it, it, it's, it's a building block. Mm-hmm. It's not a luxury. It's a necessity. I would agree with that. And just seeing, oh, sorry, Alex, go for it. No, nothing. I'm sorry. I was just going to say it's it's interesting because like I've been in communication with Luca and Alan throughout the entire semester and they've spoken about, you know, like their experience in class. And I had 360 last winter. So I was in class with you and I feel like the three of us, although having taken the same course, had a totally different experience with it. Like I love 360 so much. Like it was so fun and I feel like their experience although it was probably still fun they didn't have that same like level of entertainment with like especially like the big project that we do like I don't know it's just it's interesting to see the contrast yeah well it's funny from my perspective Alex because I always say to myself well the students uh, uh, Luca and and Alex won't know what I've done in the past Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter that it's not part of the course anymore because it's their first time taking it yeah. But if you took it again, you'd be like, oh, man, does this bite? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. You know what? All things considered, I think we came out on top is those final presentations, Definitely. Steve. You know, there's something else. It was fun. It was fun. Hey, you know, kudos to Luca. He went all, he clowned <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But, you know, the, 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 it's an unspoken, I'm, I hope students learn just if they have a little bit of self-reflection and a, they debrief just by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Who gets the better grade? The student who got no camera on all semester or the student whose camera is on and the professor can see their face and they ask questions and they participate and they're building, even though it's a virtual relationship, they're building that relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who am I more inclined to help as the professor? Who do I go to when I want to ask questions or I want to get feedback? Do I go to the student who's never turned on their camera and never verbally participated or go to the student that's there 90% of the time or 100% of the time? Mm -hmm. And so, and it's the same thing when we go back to work, there might be a hybrid system where some people can stay home and some people can go to the office. I think the people that choose to go to the office are going to win. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are going to build the stronger relationships. Mm -hmm. They're going to be there and they're going to say, oh my goodness, we need help. And you're a warm body. Can you help us? And all of a sudden you prove yourself in a new situation and you're going to, to, to benefit from it um, more than the person that, that, that chooses not to be present. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's education. It's hands on, it's mind on, yeah. it's heart on. That's true. And it's, um, and, it's a whole other experience. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so it's all playful. Mm-hmm. It's all the same thing yeah. uh, in, in a different, a different. if you took the grades away from university education, it would be totally fun. Yeah. The only part that makes it unfun is that you get evaluated and graded. Mm-hmm. Right. Lots right. of students love university until it comes to finals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, <laughs> and, 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 and I know that because the only way I became a professor was by being a student first. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you had to rate the entire semester, right, it being completely virtual, this past uh, this past session, the last couple of months, how would you rate it? What would you give it? Your overall experience? Uh, there were so many moving parts mm-hmm. uh, to it. I, I think it would be uh, a solid B, uh, a solid B grade. Um, there were some things that I would like to change. But there are also some things that, um, uh, like for example, I, I, I alluded to it before, I wanna get more familiar with different technology and use the right technology to support the learning goals. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if, you know, we use breakout rooms in Zoom, but I don't know if that's the best tool to get students to open their camera and share information and share feedback. Um, and so I want to make sure that if that's the best room, then that's fine. I'll keep using it. But if there's another tool that's better than that, I want to know about it so that I can use it at the right time. I hear you. Um, and, and so that would improve. On the other hand, uh, if in the future and we're back in the face, face-to-face world and I have an exam, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do my best to make sure that that exam is online. I don't need you to commute to class, to sit at a desk, to write a multiple choice exam, to turn around and commute back home. Mm. So there are you know, good opportunities for distance learning mm-hmm. and bad opportunities. If I want you to build social relationships and practice your presentation skills, mm-hmm. I want you in the classroom and I want you to have an audience yeah. so that you're nervous, no doubt. so that you can see what your weak points are. Yeah. But um, so, so there are good, if I want you to listen to me lecturing, mm-hmm. you can do that from your computer screen and then come to class and we can try to apply what the lecture was in a meaningful way or problem solve it or do a case study. So let's do the flipped classroom where you do the lecture stuff at home and then come to class for the experiential learning component of it. Mm-hmm. And so I can see a hybrid developing from what we've learned. So at that end of the spectrum, we're learning a ton of stuff, which is an A grade, but we're still not quite there yet. So it's a B minus grade. Mm-hmm. So I averaged it out to a B. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a pretty fair assessment. That's a great assessment, mm-hmm. actually. All yeah. Considered, mm-hmm. you know, and do you think, I mean, come, let's say, I mean, hopefully this time next year, if we are back in person, that there will be that sense of a, of a hybrid, you know, implemented within uh, at least, I mean, I'm not across the board, but we, we can start to get there, yeah? I, I think so. I think that it's it's um, moved a lot of people out of their comfort zone um, into doing things that probably they would have done over the next three or four years, but certainly not um, as quickly and as painfully as, as this. And so when we take our foot off the gas pedal a little bit and we can be self-reflective, mm-hmm. we can say, you know, what part of my course makes sense online and what part of my course can I do um, face-to-face? Um, uh, one of the things that I really like is that I've recorded so many lessons mm-hmm. and uh, until something changes, I can keep those. Sure. I don't have to redo those lessons every semester for the rest of my life because they're recorded once. So maybe every, every you know, 18 months, I'll redo them or touch things up a little bit. But in terms of my workload, it's a lot of prep to get your PowerPoints organized and make sure your, your lesson is ready to deliver. Mm-hmm. How else could I be using that time efficiently? And what else can I be doing if I have that already in the can and students can just digest it when, they, when they're ready to digest it? And, and think of how your life would change if you didn't have to come to class every week for my lecture because it was pre-recorded online and on your own schedule, you could participate in the lesson. Yeah. Good point. It doesn't matter if it's 8.45 on a Tuesday morning or 11 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. It's up to you. Very true. Mm-hmm. So we still have a lot to learn. We haven't even began to debrief the experiences yet. But, but I imagine that, like me, other professors are also thinking about it. And there's parts of the semester that you enjoy, too. I, uh, uh, my son is at Concordia and was very happy not to have to commute. Mm-hmm. We live 19 kilometers from campus. So he, he figured he saved two hours a day not having to take public transportation yeah. uh, downtown. That's, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, that helped Lucas stop being late to all of his courses. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> the worst part is I actually enjoy the commute, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just because I enjoy driving. Okay, so you know, it depends on your. your it depends yeah, on, on, on yeah. so many things. Yeah, it depends on so many things. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where the less time I spend in the car, the happier I am. <laughs> I would love if I could bicycle safely mm. to Concordia, mm. but there's not. Uh, uh, I can do a hybrid um, um, commute, so I drive partway with the bike on the back of the car down to the lakeshore and then I can park there for the day and then I can bicycle up through through you know Dorval into Lachine up into NDG right. uh, and so I can, I can do a hybrid bike ride but you know our web between our weather and schedules and stuff like that it's not uh, if I lived a little closer anyways you can't get everything <laughs> so then earlier we spoke to you uh, before we started recording about the Beat the Odds internship program, Mm. which is uh, something that you just recently became involved uh, with. So could you talk a little bit about that program? So it's, uh, they pilot, the Concordia pilot tested Beat the Odds program uh, over the summer. Mm -hmm. And the um, uh, vice provost's office of experiential learning, um, I don't know where they came up with the grant money, Mm-hmm. But they're identified a group of students that sometimes fall through the cla- uh, cracks. Uh, could be immigrant students, um, uh, uh, LBTG 
students, mm-hmm. uh, could be single parent students, could be students with learning disabilities, um, and beat the odds. So instead of falling through the cracks, how can this program help the students be successful as they transgress uh, through the university experience? Yeah. And they know obviously what's going on with COVID. And they know that there's a few programs at Concordia that have unpaid internships. Mm-hmm. And so they approached us in early December and said, we can provide money for some of these students that um, might be falling through the cracks or really having a difficult time. And in fact, I, I, I know a student that stopped coming to school this semester uh, to get off of welfare. And I know another student that has all the qualifications to graduate, but doesn't have the money to pay their last tuition bill. Mm. So you can't graduate if you still have an outstanding balance. And so there are uh, other students. And so those are financial issues. And they came up with some money that we could, we're not going to solve everyone's problems for sure, but we can make a dent financially. And I said, there's other students that have issues that even though they've been here for three years, they don't yet have that confidence and that skill set to leave the university and apply for their first job. And so we attached for some of those students that identify some of those issues that not only do they get the money, but they also get the opportunity to do a futures ready workshop or meet with a CAPS counselor, which is the Concordia University um, uh, job placement program. And so the Beat the Odds program um, they were very generous. They gave us the money and they let us set up how we are going to distribute it to the students. And um, instead of asking the students to, the students have to write cover letters to apply mm-hmm. and they have to establish goals. And um, from a departmental level, we had to have a discussion about how we were going to give the money to the students. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that is to quantify the letter that they write, the letter of intent, like how they're going to benefit from the BTO program and say, well, you know, this person said that they were going to benefit because they weren't going to die of starvation. So we'll give them more money. And this person said they needed help with a bus pass. So we'll give them less money. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to be in that situation, making judgment calls of who needs less money and who needs more money. Right. So we came up with what we hope is an equitable system um, we took the number of people that applied for the grant that qualified. I'm going to divide the dollar amount equally amongst those students. That's awesome. Yeah. And and hopefully that will you know be enough money to 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 make a difference. We got two pools of money. Well, we decided it was two pools of money, um, and so we're offering the grant now to students that are slash two during a fall internship mm-hmm. or doing a fall winter internship. And then we're going to reoffer the program again in March once the students have registered for summer 2021 and the students in winter 2021 and summer 2021 will have the opportunity to get some of that grant money again That's right. or different students, but mm-hmm. they're in different internship classes. So we wanted to, to go, you know, span the, the two semesters um, and the way the university budget goes, it has to be paid out uh, by April. And so we're, we're on a tight tight time frame for this one and we'll be on a tight tight time frame in the in the winter time but when the university can come through like that it's a really great thing to be able to give uh students a little bit of a helping hand yeah absolutely yeah, that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah so as we approach the end of our episode i just have one last question for you steve um what is one final piece of advice for living a playful life the uh that's that's good <laughs> I, I i think it's i think it's a cliche statement Mm-hmm. But it might be true, and I guess we'll 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 have to check back here when when I'm eighty and, and you guys are fifty. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't think that we stop playing because we get older. Mm. Maybe we age because we stop playing. Mm. And so um, I would suggest that if you could keep that playful attitude until at least one hundred and one. <laughs> and then let me know if you're still alive and if everything's still going well at 101, then I'm right. <laughs> Pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, uh, you can't take yourself that seriously. If you don't, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, sure. Because otherwise, you know, you're going to be crying and no one wants to see you crying. We only want to see you laughing. Um, and so you don't want to be around other people when they're crying necessarily, but you'd much rather be around people when they're laughing. And so if we can learn to laugh at ourselves a little bit more, um, and sometimes it's embarrassing, 
Um, and sometimes our friends never let us live it down, um, but at least we're still laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that a lifetime of that playfulness is uh, much healthier than any alternative. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Never stop playing. Never stop mm-hmm. playing. I love that. Actually, that should be the name of the episode. Down. Never stop playing with, with, with Stephen Henley. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. With, with Steve. Perfect. That's good. I love that. That's cool. Well, if anything, um, you know, I would uh, hear you. We're talking about, um, you know, learning to laugh at yourself and getting comfortable laughing at yourself. Right. Um, I, I would say there's no doubt that definitely came, you know, from Luke and I and the shenanigans and everybody else. Who you know partook in that in 360 this semester? You know, you saw me throwing. You can yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> people enjoy that. We did, we did, we did. People say they're saying to themselves, "That's goofy, that's silly." I wish I was in that group. Mm-hmm. What can we say? You know, we just we we ran with them and said, "Let's just fall <laughs> out, shall we?" Yeah. yeah, and we we did, we did, we did, we did. Uh, awesome. Love that. Man. All right, Steve. So uh, I think I think you might have some uh, some can something to say there for us, perhaps. No. <laughs> the <laughs> uh, 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 you guys have to be proud of yourselves. You're you're driving change forward, and you're doing that through We Are Alpha relations. And so I think that um, you got to keep driving that change forward because you are Alpha relations. And I could say it 10 different ways in 10 different orders, but it still comes out that you are alpha relations and you are driving change forward. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank, you. thank you, Steve, for coming on this podcast. It was a pleasure having you. And um, <laughs> I'll leave some links down below. Uh, and thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Um,